<laughs> Welcome to Bloom Living. I am your host, Thomas DeShooter, former rock musician turned financial strategist, sharing amazing ideas from amazing people looking to up the game of life whenever we can. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Thomas DeShooter. It's great to be back for another week of the Bloom Living podcast. And today, we have an amazing guest coming up. Carmel Larson is a serial entrepreneur of multi-million dollar companies. I'm so excited to dive into that. But first, I want to thank all of you faithful listeners, all of you new listeners, all of you people that have subscribed to the show and send us feedback. It's greatly appreciated. And uh, just keep it coming because it inspires us to do the work that we're doing and to continue to find new guests, new topics of conversation, and uh, up, if you will, up our game of life here at the Bloom Living Podcast. Uh, today, I want to dive in a little bit on something that uh, is near and dear to my heart. And as I've, as I've be begun to read uh, a new book, The Science of Getting Rich, it has kind of gone in my brain. So, the law of mind action. And I want to talk a little bit about the law of mind action. It's the principle that what we think about, what we have as thoughts, speak in words, that that is what shows up in our life. Now, you might be thinking like, well, what about all these little thoughts? Yes, the little thoughts, the, the quick hits of things that we don't ruminate on, you know, they have a little bit of energy, they go out and then they, they dissipate and they're not, they're not you know, going to drive the boat. It's the stuff that we constantly ruminate on, the stuff that we dwell on. And so, one of the things that I have really been focusing on in the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven hundred days <laughs> has been to control what it is I think about, to control what I imagine for my life, to have imagination that feeds the future I want to live into, not stuff that I don't want to have happen in my life. I focus on the things that I believe are already mine, are already given and readily available out there. And so, what does that look like? Well, in the world of uh, raising kids or expectations for my kids, I really just focus on being the best dad that I know I am and supporting them in all the ways that they look for support. That's really my mindset with my kids now. It's not about scolding or teaching or rules or regulations. It's really about seeing you know, where they're at and how can I support them on their journey? How can I be the dad that they can talk to as a friend, that they can uh, confide in, if you will? And I'm not the best at it yet. However, that's the person that I imagine myself to be as a father. And so, the more that I think about that, the more that I ruminate on that way of being, the greater the possibility, and, and I'll go beyond that, that it's a given that that's how I'll start to show up in the world. I've talked about this in the world of money that, you know, when we say things to ourselves like, oh, I'm broke or I don't have enough money or I can't afford this or, you know, when we constantly reinforce those things, those sayings, those thoughts, that's what shows up. And so it's not 
it's not like, oh, hey, I'm rich. I have a huge bank account and it shows up the next day. It's the constant reinforcing that that's what is real for you, that that's what you expect. And it's not enough to just say, oh, I thought about it. It will, it will turn out. No, the law of mind action is, is also to the point where the universe gives back not what we think about, but what we fully expect. That's the key to believe with beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is how it's going to be. So taking it back to my first example with my kids, I truly believe that I am that kind of dad, that I am the father that is friends with his kids and embraces their greatness and allows them to be who they are, even though I might have the, you know, the childhood upbringing that I had popping in my head that says I should discipline and I should do this and I should be this way. I don't want that. I want, I want to shift how I raise my children. I want to experiment with what does it look like if I just allow and guide along the way with with common sense. And you know, my, my parents used a lot of common sense. So I'm grateful for that example of just having the wherewithal to be with me at times. I can remember having, you know, great conversations with my dad as a teenager about the music I listened to. You know, why did I like Rush? Why did I get turned on by this stuff? And he, you know, didn't really like what I listened to, but he was open to the discussion. He was open to allowing uh, me to express what was turning me on about that music. And that, that when I reflect now, was a great benefit. A couple of quick things I want to share before we get to today's guest, and that is uh, speaking of allowing your kids to unfold as they will, and the law of mind action, uh, one of my daughters is uh, doing an amazing job in the world of gymnastics and will be competing in February at uh, the BC Winter Games, which I'm thrilled about that uh, she has the opportunity to go up against the best in the province and, and challenge herself at a whole new level. And that is the law of mind action. She believes, she undoubtedly believes that she can be there and be that person and compete at that level. And guess what? It's turning out that way. And then uh, my other daughter took the opportunity of a broken ankle and sitting around the home and decided, hey, I think I want to have a podcast. And so Brooke has launched a podcast, Brooks Scoop, that's B-R-O-O-K apostrophe S, Scoop, Brooks Scoop Podcast. Uh, and uh, I know she's going to blow through any numbers that I've ever seen on, on the podcast that I have. And uh, I'm just so proud of both of the girls and just how they show up and how they're willing to stretch themselves and and compete in the levels that they compete at, both mentally and physically. You know, Brooke is battling with a broken ankle. She broke her leg a year and a half ago, and somehow she finds the ability to put a smile on her face and and still be creative and not let it pull her back. And then Tatum with the the mindset and the strength it takes to compete at the level she does, to go to the gym for 21 hours a week and train and miss out on other things that she could be doing with her life and it's paying off. And so 
you know, I heard once that our kids are here to teach us. Well, my kids teach me every day in new ways of, of showing up as a, as a man in this world, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a parent, as a friend, all of those things I'm learning uh, from, from my children. So it's a beautiful thing. And on that note, I'll also uh, let you know that I have a new podcast that I've launched that is really specific about uh, my area of expertise, money. It's called Conscious Cash. There, uh, there's no guests at this point. It's just me. They're typically you know, 10 to 15 minutes, and you can find them on all the usual places that you find podcasts. Thanks for that. Now, let's get to today's guest. Let's welcome to the show, Carmel Larson. She's a serial entrepreneur of multi-million dollar companies, shattering barriers as founder of Mom Knee and the Mom Knee Foundation. We'll get into that when she's on the show. A professionally trained social worker. She is passionate about empowering women and strengthening families. She's been featured on the Dr. Phil Show, ABC, NBC, Fox, The CW, Yahoo Finance, and Fortune. She's a captivating keynote speaker who inspires action. She presented at the UN on the global childcare crisis and was awarded the Women of Distinction Award by the India Council of Human Rights. Internationally known as Mama Carmel, she considers her greatest life work, her magnum opus, if you will, to be her eight children. Welcome to the show, Carmel Larson. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here chatting with you. So right off the bat, I was doing, you know, I was going through your bio and uh, checking out stuff. And so I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't know where this name came from, Momni, but I'm going to throw it out there. Does it have anything to do with Omni? And then you put an M in front of it or is am I way off base and it's something completely different? No, you're a very smart man. You must be well-trained in Latin roots or something. Yes. <laughs> Mommy comes, it's a made up word like many businesses nowadays. You can hardly get a URL unless you come up with something or a sentence. So Omni is the Latin root for all and everywhere, like omnivore, omnipresent. You have a book called Circle Up, the story of Momni, and maybe you could just, uh, and I, there's so much I want to cover with you. I mean, you're, uh, uh, you know, multi-million dollar companies, eight kids, homeschooling, like you've done all of the things that I look at and just go, where do you find the time? And we'll get to that. But let's start with like, what was the, what was the impetus for Momni? Where, where did that come from? And really, what is the focus point? Uh, like, what is it you do on an ongoing basis, I guess? Well, my husband and I have several businesses that we've created together. And the most recent one before Momni was a piano store. It was doing, it was doing quite well. We, we arrived at this moment where we realized we're about to have some extra time and some extra money. What are we going to do with that? And we're individuals of faith. We have a strong belief that we want to serve God and serve others. And so... We put that to prayer and decided we wanted to not just be good people, but be good for something. And through that process of praying, we learned about the global childcare crisis. And especially as I learned about it, I had the idea of come to, I had the idea of Momni come to my mind with two words, which were Uber mom, but also this burst of understanding of what that meant that the global child care crisis could be improved significantly if we, through technology, link together the mothers of the world. The problem with the global child care crisis is a supply issue. And so my mind just sort of raced with these ideas 
that while moms are the supply solution, they're on every street corner. We just need the technology to link us all together. And in, in that moment, as that idea flowed into me, it felt like a life calling. And mm -hmm. so I said to my husband at our next lunch date, I said, I think we're supposed to launch the Airbnb of childcare. And to his credit, he said, okay. <laughs> and we've been building it ever since and it's working and it's growing and it's been a wild, horrifically wonderful up and down ride but we're getting it done. The world needs it. And so we're bringing it. That's so awesome. That's wonderful. And so this brought, and I mentioned this in your bio, that you presented at the UN on the global childcare crisis. You received the uh, Woman of Distinction Award from the India Council of Human Rights. So I'm curious, obviously, I don't get the sense you did this for accolades. So when you're recognized at something like another country recognizing you, for that work, when you have the opportunity to present at the UN on something you're passionate about, what was going through you for that? Like, where were you within yourself in, in either pride or I can't believe I've done this or there's more work to do? Like all of those emotions that would come up. Well, let me just say I got over myself before I even got started, thanks to a great mentor that I have. Her name's Paula Fellingham. And when I went to her with this idea, once Brigham was on board and we're going to do this. And I said, Paula, I think I need to do Facebook lives. I think I need to put myself out there. I got to get the message out. I, I, I need to do all of this. And I was expressing to her fear and concern. And I'm not really a public speaker. And this is so scary. And she leaned into me right in front of my face. And she said, she leaned in real close and she said, oh, get over yourself. This is not about you. This is about all of the women and the children of the world that you feel called to serve. And that was a pivotal moment for me, realizing that when I get these awards or I speak at the UN or I do anything or get interviewed for a podcast, it is not about me. It's about having a microphone, having an opportunity, having a platform, having a PR moment of press coverage to get the word out there to really bring moms together to help solve this crisis. So yeah, I'm, I'm over the excitement of anything being about me. Mm. I am a driven woman with a passion and a purpose. And I need as many microphones and as many opportunities to just get the word out there to more families who need this support. So that's interesting to me. I love, uh, I love what you said. And I'm just going to, I didn't realize my office phone wasn't call forwarded, but now it is. Uh, so much of the time when we think of doing something, we get focused on the me and I have to, and I'm going to, and, and I, you know, there's a, there's a place for that for sure. Cause a lot of motivation comes from within ourselves and who we are. And, and we need that support from ourselves, if you will. I'm curious, how, how quickly were you able to just move like, Oh, this isn't about me. Cause that sounds like that's what the work really is, is it's not about you getting accolades. It's really about, getting a message out, but you're not the message. Absolutely not. I'm simply the messenger trying to gather the volunteers and the workers and all the individuals who we need to come together to make this happen. Maybe it was a gift. Maybe I was fortunate in that moment when she corrected me, there felt like a shift that happened in my heart and mind. And I realized, I think more importantly, the, the gift she gave me in that moment 
was, was even something greater than just understanding it's not about me, but it, it helped me overcome my fear of what will other people think? Because here I am, just a regular old mama of a whole bunch of kids who's putting myself out there in this enormous way, trying to do something epic in the world. There's a lot of fear behind that, fear of failure, fear of what will the neighbors think? What will the ladies at church think? What will my high school friends think? And in that moment, the gift of that mentor, Paula, in that moment was she removed that fear from me. I still feel afraid on occasion. But in those moments, I remember this is not about me. It's about the people I'm trying to help and serve. And that helps me jump over, leap over that fear in that moment. Wow. Thank you. You know, that's one of the things on the Bloom Living podcast that I love to dive into is the, is a couple things. One is that, you know, for myself, and I heard it from you just now, I always have a fear. It's not like it goes away. It's just how quickly can I overcome it? How quickly can you put it in check? Yes, right. exactly. Right. So it's, it still shows up. I have the fear of like, oh, well, what will people think? And, you know, is anybody listening to the show? And like all of that stuff that goes on. And then there's the idea that, well, that doesn't really matter. You know, I want to focus on my guests. I think our, we can bring great people into the light and show the work that they're doing in the world. So do you have uh, like a couple of checkpoints that you do when that fear comes up that allows you to push beyond it? Or do you have a mantra that you say? Is there something that you do that allows you to push on? I think it's remembering the purpose more than the pain. And I think the mantra that I use is those words that, that Paula said to me, get over yourself. This is not about you. It's about them. Meaning those who I'm seeking to serve. So I remind myself of of those words in those difficult moments. Hmm. Thank you for that. I want to shift gears a little uh, to homeschooling. And that's because uh, my wife and I homeschooled. We have, you know, we, we're, we only have two kids. <laughs> I say that jokingly. Uh, so have you homeschooled? Let's, let's go back. Why, why homeschool? What was the reasoning in that, that you were so passionate about, about schooling your children at home? Well, I, I'm a social worker by training. That's what I went to college for. And when, when I had children, I equated homeschool to uh, child abuse, educational neglect, social neglect, all of, the, all of the things. I thought it was horrible, absolutely the most horrific thing you could do for a child. And I thought sh there should be like a homeschool abuse category as I was a social worker. But then I met some families who were actually homeschooling and for some odd reason, their children were exceptional. And it opened my mind to the possibility that maybe I had, I had it wrong. I learned more about homeschool from them. And once I started learning, I got every book in the library, read a stack of like 20 books, and then I could never, I could never go back. I was hooked. And what converted me to the idea of homeschool was the idea of individualized, customized, passion-based education. Customizing the most ideal curriculum for each child at each new developmental phase of their life. And for us, combining a faith-based approach was just something that was irresistible to me. I have some children who are gifted, many of them. I have some who have special needs and I, it's just so rare that a child fits exactly into the classroom that they're placed in in public school setting. And so I love the ability to customize. My oldest son 
is very passionate about science. We discovered when he was about 12 or 13, his passion for chemistry, and we're able to get him mentors and tutors and opportunities at the local university. And now at, at 16, now 17, he went off to college early and was doing cancer research and writing his own papers. And he loves learning like you would not believe. And the opportunities that have been able to come to him because he's able to study what he's really passionate about has been super inspiring to watch. We've yeah. done it though. We've done charter schools, public schools. We've been in and out of the homeschool setting. So we really try and customize each child's experience every year. I have some in, in public school this year. I've got one outside my door right now working on school things. So we like to customize. Hey, it's Thomas here. Thanks so much for listening to the Bloom Living Podcast. We'll be right back with our guest after a word from our sponsors. Do you feel uneasy visiting a bank? Do you struggle to sit through a meeting with your financial advisor and leave having not fully understood what they were talking about? Are you blindly trusting that somebody else understands this better than you? Call Thomas the Shooter and the team at Bloom Strategies to create your financial future. Together, you will break down the game of money so that you win. Learn how to take control of your finances and make decisions based on your core values that put you in the driver's seat of your financial life. No more thinking that you don't get it. No more financial statements left unopened. And no more feeling like you are stuck in a world of scarcity. Join the conversation on Facebook at Bloom Strategies or go to bloomstrategies.com today. That's B-L-O-O-M strategies.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Bloom Living Podcast. And now back to today's guest. Well, that, that's great. Uh, you know, we homeschooled the girls and then they decided they wanted to go to high school. And so we're experiencing that now. And what is interesting to me, what I've noticed about it is just that precisely what you said, there, there's no customization. Like, you know, my daughters have completely different interests from, from each other, yet they're twins and they're in the same stuff. Right. You know, when we homeschooled, we had the ability to focus on what their interests were. And now it's kind of just, here's the, you know, here's the pot. I'm not calling it like that it's bad. It's just like, here's the cooking pot. You all get the same stuff. Away you go. And some are going to excel and some aren't in this area. That's right. It's just really exciting to be able to customize according to passion. Yeah. So with the oldest going to college, how did you, did at some point, did he go to school or how did you handle transcripts or that sort of thing of getting him into college? He uh, took the GED on his own. And then he, um, I, don't, I don't remember how he did that. He was very self-motivated and he figured it out on his own. I was in the early stages of Momni and we talked about it a little bit and that he wanted to go off to college early. And then one day he just told me, mom, I took the GED. I did well. And I got this on the ACT. So now I'm applying for college. And he was actually super frustrated because he, he was able to get accepted at, at, into college at 16, but they, they, they set a new rule that you couldn't start until you were 17. Mm. And so he had to wait an extra year, but um, he learned to be very proactive in his own education as part of that homeschool experience. And he just, he just made it happen on his own. Wow. That's amazing. Let's jump into business a little. So how, yeah. <laughs> how do you manage to do what you do raising a family? I mean, eight kids is a lot, you know, there's a lot. 
going on with that. I, I've seen it just from two and I have brothers and sisters that have, you know, four kids. Uh, so how do you manage that with running business? Do you have, are you up early? Like what, how do you set up your day to win? I'm up early. I think the uh, even more powerful than a strong morning routine and, and waking up early is absolutely crucial and essential. Not just me, but our whole family. Our whole family wakes up early and we get everyone moving with productivity early and trying to set a good example and training and mentoring the children in that, those same systems. Even more powerful than that, though, is focusing on a strong marriage. I think it's really a tragic um, epidemic that's happening in America right now with the volume of marriages that are crumbling of entrepreneurs. The statistics are astounding. Entrepreneurship really rails hard on marriages. My husband and I are aware of those stats and we work super hard to create create an environment in our relationship that we're supportive of each other. I feel like that's the foundation of all of our success. And then beyond that, waking up early and then systems and routines and asking for help. I have systems for my systems in business and at home and uh, routines personally and professionally. And I get a lot of help. I don't clean my own house. I don't cook a lot of the meals. I don't do my own grocery shopping. I use all of the apps and the grocery delivery and I do all of the planning and strategizing and I decide what our family is going to eat, but I don't actually chop the vegetables. So anything possible that someone else can do that I can either hire done or train a child to do or get help with, I try to delegate professionally and personally, so that I can focus my time and efforts on the very most crucial things that only I can do. Hmm. That's great. Now, that leads me to a question about that. How do you determine what those crucial things are? Like, how is it that you're deciding, you know, and I'll give you an example, maybe like, so you know, when, when I, uh, when I had an Edward Jones office, an investment office, they were, they, you know, one of the things they always taught us as the advisor in the office was if you're doing, if you're doing the job of your office administrator, if you're doing their work, then you should expect the pay of an office administrator. So push all of that stuff off. So it was really like a hierarchy of payment. So is that how you decide things like this is, I can get this paid for at this level. So I'm willing to give that up so that I can focus on the stuff that's going to do far more payment or good in the world or et cetera. How do you, how do you do divvy that up? Absolutely. I do think about my personal um, financial worth and what my hourly rate might be. And if I can replace myself financially with someone who I can hire at a cheaper rate than what I know I can, can produce for our family or businesses myself. But there's also a caution with that. There's a caution with that where you have to draw the line because you don't want to be hiring out the raising of your children, the care and maintenance of your spouse. You've got to, you've got to, um, or relationships with other people. And so you have to be very careful to not, um, to, to guard with, with these, um, about very clear boundaries. Um, Things like the morning routines and the tuck-ins and dinner times and the being at the crossroads and showing up for your children's performances or even even giving rides. You know, you can hire rides done, but being giving rides are are crucial times for conversation. Mm. So I try and I try and analyze each area of my life, what needs to get done. And is this something 
that is smart to hire out and anyone can do this? Or is this an activity that also involves a relationship? And I am needed there as a mentor, as a parent, as a friend, as a spouse. And wow. that's where you be careful about the monetary value that you place on getting help. Because there are many things that only I can do that are absolutely irreplaceable as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, as a mentor. Yeah, that's good advice. I hear, I, I totally get that. And, and I can see that uh, in obviously in our own life where, you know, I'll give you an example, my wife, Leslie, who I think we met, we met in New York. So you might remember Leslie, she, um, she's an actress and she had a successful career. You know, we live in Vancouver, which is Hollywood North. There's tons of opportunities for actors to get work here. And when we had the twins, she was hired on a show. She went to a the show and she sat in a trailer most of the day waiting for her scenes to be shot. And while she sat there, she was like, somebody else is raising my kids. I can't do this. And walked away from acting for a number of years until it was in a place where the kids didn't need her every moment. Right. And so is that, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and sometimes there's a, um, exceptions or special accommodations that can be made. I, I remember hearing about one executive who decided she wanted to take time off from work to raise her daughter. And the executives, I think it was Google, said, well, we'll pay for a nanny and for your daughter to have a flight and a hook and space so that she can always come with you and be with you everywhere that you go. And she said, oh, okay, then I won't take a break as long as I can be with my daughter and she comes everywhere I go then that was an okay circumstance for her. And maybe with Leslie, if they would have allowed for your twins to be with her, on set or in the trailer and she could have had a nanny there assisting when she had to go out, but her kids could be with her, then sometimes that's an acceptable situation. I'm working from home today. Sometimes I have to go into the office. I try and take kids with me on trips or to the office. And so you just have to every day find what your boundaries are and make it work. And sometimes that means bringing kids along with you or saying no to other things, depending on the situation in the day. Right. And I love what you said about quality time, like driving. You know, when I think back to uh, being a kid, my dad was amazing that somehow he managed to make it to almost all of my hockey games and drove me, right? Like, I'll never forget that as, as an adult now, when I think back, those were critical moments where my dad, with my dad, where we could talk about things. And then after the game, talk about how I played and my mindset and all of that stuff, which, you know, if I was getting picked up by another parent or dropped off by another parent, I never would have had those moments. Those are such crucial moments. I'm thinking about my oldest daughter, Abby, who's getting her driver's license tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And for the last week, we have been talking about, Abby, I'm so sad you're getting your license because we're not going to have those driving conversations anymore. And I'm never going to see you again because you have your own license. <laughs> yes, those are precious times, those driving conversations. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about the businesses you, uh, that you and your husband are, are into first. And, and I, I think maybe uh, I'll go back a bit because you said something crucial about, about working together and entrepreneurs and, and marriage breakdowns and the, the statistics. And so, you know, Leslie and I work together. What are some of the keys that, that you two have put in place that allow you, I guess, to not have work at home all the time. Like if you're working from home, you know, what I've found is that work can creep into the kitchen table 
as opposed to being left in the office downstairs. And so are, do you have things you guys have done that have allowed you to move beyond that? We almost rarely, if never, talk about business around our children. Maybe that's a gift of having so many children that their conversation crowds out business. But that means that we also have to find time outside of family to be intentional with each other. We never, ever miss Friday night dates. And sometimes we have a second date during the week, a lunch date, or we'll take a Saturday night also if we need more time to connect. We have weekly budgeting meetings, finance meetings with each other. We are connected at so many crossroads with each other in the mornings, in the evenings, always at dinner and texting, calling, whenever one of us is driving, we always try and reach out to the other. Communication is the key to everything. Being able to have long conversations to work out the details of family life and business life we do a lot of talking we, we spend a lot of money on restaurants and we always joke not really joking totally serious with each other that it's cheaper the volume of money that we spend on restaurants than it would be for marriage therapy and that that time across from the table from each other eye to eye with an extended conversation is the same as therapy we're just choosing to spend that money over a meal instead of over a therapist. I love that. I love how you tied that into a win, right? It's like... <laughs> Absolutely, it works. It's necessary. I think why people find... Well, maybe one of the reasons why people find so much success in, in therapy is just a regular scheduled visit where you have to have a really long conversation. Do it over a restaurant. <laughs> it's way more fun, right? <laughs> way more fun. Yes, and cheaper, I think. Get out, enjoy some good food, you know, have some atmosphere that's different, get away from the kids. I love it. I love it. And you know what? Thank you for that because something I have not done a very good job of is making sure that we have that time together on a regular basis. You know, I've, I've thought about it many times. I've had it advised to me many times. I do it for a period of time and then it stops. And um, yeah, I will pick up that I will pick up that idea again and carry it forward. Yeah, for us, it's a preset calendared item. It's just set on repeat on both of our calendars for every Friday night. And for us, we found that um, the restaurant setting is actually really crucial for us. We've tried, you know, movies or other activities or go to the symphony or go for a walk or go hiking. But we have found for us, nothing quite can replace the face-to-face looking at each other and having a long extended conversation has just mm-hmm. been really helpful for us. That's, that's great. Thank you for that. What sort of businesses uh, are you and your husband operating these days? Well, we have Momni, the tech company that we're working on scaling now. We have the piano store that is still um, going strong that was the original investor and funded the early stages of Momni. We also have a music conservatory where we um, have a significant faculty that teaches piano lessons to students. We're very much a musical piano family. And before that, we had some small businesses on the side. My husband started out as a piano tuner and I got involved with him once having more children became financially stressful. I said, it shouldn't be stressful. Let me just help out, let's just get more money. And so we did. So the mindset is just go get more money because there's lots of it out there, right? Absolutely. I I was born with an abundance mentality and it's just grown ever since. Oh, I love it. So do you have do you have a way of speaking 
to yourself about that. And, and you can get as uh, spiritual as you want. I'm totally open to that. I, it's something I talk about a lot on my shows is the uh, mind action idea that, that how we think, how we speak, that's what shows up in our world. So the more we can train ourselves to think and speak in the areas that we want to have things, come out a certain way, then that's what shows up. So how do you approach that? I absolutely believe that money should never be a limiting factor in life. It's one of my greatest pet peeves ever since my, uh, my oldest daughter who's about to get her license. When she was three, she showed um, an extreme ability in music and I wanted her to have harp lessons, which was ridiculous at the time because we couldn't afford a harp or the lessons. And we actually at that time, had to not continue because we couldn't afford it. And that set me on a path being forever changed as a mother and as a woman, as a human of deciding, I don't ever want money to limit me or my family in any way. And I started doing um, visualizations, meditations, using affirmations, and just having the belief that if there's something we need and it is a, a good cause or it has a good, strong why behind it, then we're just going to go claim it. We're just going to go call our shot and make it happen. And for the most part, so far, that has worked out for us. And um, I'll, I'll share with you something I've only shared with my husband. I'm outside kind of, kind of crazy, but one of my favorite uh, visualizations that I do right now, do you know the movie Matilda where she discovers her superpower and she starts pointing to different things in the room and she's able to make them move and dance just by nodding her head or pointing her fingers and using her, her magical powers? I feel like that that's the gift I want. I'm developing in partnership with God. I feel like money is a magnifier. And when you want to do good in the world with money, I feel like the more money is drawn to you. If you want to do bad in the world with money, that that might be the case too. But I want to be one of those people who's doing good things. Like Matilda in that scene in the movie, I want, I want the superpower and I'm calling forth through the mental exercises, the religious spiritual exercises that I do calling forth the power of money to magnify my my desire to be a good human being so that I can simply just point as a co-creator with God and just say make this good thing happen make this good thing happen and just let the let the money and the good swarm all around myself my family the community that I'm pulling together with the Momni Foundation and just let the good that is within me and within others and within our community just explode into the world and let money not be an inhibitor. And so I actually, I actually do that visualization in my mind where I'm Matilda and, and that I co-create with God and just say, let the money flow in so that it can flow out to do good. I love it. <laughs> my husband's going to listen to this. He's going to be like, I can't believe you said that out loud on a podcast. Like, well, Thomas said, Thomas Sharon money anyway. <laughs> I love it. It's that is so you are bringing in the power of imagination, the power of will, the power of life energy, the idea of that by giving we receive, and it's just an ongoing building block. Like, the more you give, the more you get, the more you get, the more you give, it just reciprocates and flows. And that's what you're talking about. I absolutely love it. Absolutely. And for me, it's, it's very much a matter of prayer as well. 
that I'm asking God to partner with me and saying, my intention is to do good in the world, not to be selfish and lavish wealth upon myself or my children, my family, even my posterity. Bring it on because I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. But you can serve better and in bigger ways the more financial resources you have. And that's our goal as a family. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That is um, near and dear to my heart. I have another show called Conscious Cash, uh, and it's a, it's a much shorter podcast. It's no guests. It's just me talking, and it's all about what you're talking about, the ability to co-create spiritually, to open ourselves up, to allow the flow, to not be afraid of wealth, uh, to not think that having riches is bad because you can do great things in the world. Like it's really hard to do great things in the world without money. Money is just an energy. It's a tool. That's it. And it's best served in flow. It's like water. If you leave it stagnate somewhere, it goes all bad and nobody wants to drink it. But if you allow it to flow, it replenishes life. It, that, that's I know it sounds a bit hokey, but I don't care. I don't mind being hokey That's sometimes. That's a great analogy. Absolutely. And money is a magnifier. If you're yeah. out to do good, then money can magnify that effort for you. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, you've just like topped my ability to go any further on this because anything else after this would be like a, a come down in terms of where we've gotten to. I so love it. Uh, how can people reach out to you? Do you, do you mentor people? Do you coach them? Like, is there, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and say, Hey, I really loved what you said. Uh, can you expand more on that? How would they do that? I love mentoring and coaching people. I have a website. It's called, uh, mamacarmel.com. M-A-M-A-K-A-R-M-E-L. And then they can also reach me through the Momni website or get the Momni app if they want to do care sharing with other mothers or, if they're looking to volunteer and share some of that good that's with them, within them with the rest of the world, I'm always looking for volunteers to help support the vision and mission of the Momni Foundation. They can learn more about that and how mothers are gathering together to help solve the global childcare crisis. That's momnifoundation.org. Or they can read about the book I wrote about the Momni experience. That's Circle Up on Amazon. Yeah, and that's a national bestseller. And we'll, we'll of course, have all of these uh, contact elements in the show notes so that people can reach out to you. Uh, is there any last things you want to you wanna leave with our, with our listeners or that maybe something we didn't cover that you would want to uh, share? I'll just encourage anyone who's, who's thinking that maybe they need a way to earn more extra income or they need more help Check out the Momni app, especially if you're a mother with small children. Sometimes that can feel like a really stifling stage of life if you don't have very much help. And the vision of the Momni Foundation is to really help moms bootstrap their own situations. If they need more money, they can host and get more income. If they need more support and child-free minutes to, to, to work or to fulfill a hobby or life mission, they can get help from other moms watching their children. So I'd encourage them to look there for help if they need more time or more money and be proactive and make it happen. Wow, Carmel Larson, that's beautiful. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your gifts with the Bloom Living Podcast audience. I look forward to speaking again down the road and um, have a fantastic day. Thank you so much, you as well. Thank you for having me on. A huge thanks to today's guest and to you for being a part of the show. 
Now, if any of the ideas or stories did strike a chord with you, then I'd be honored if you would just take a quick moment to do a couple of things. One, if something in particular did resonate with you and you feel like it would make a difference in the lives of others, then please go ahead and share this through your social media channels. We'd like that very much. And two, if you are feeling compelled to join in on our ever-growing Bloom Living conversation, then hit the subscribe button and we'll show up every time there is a new episode available. You know, it's not only my goal, but it's the goal of our entire Bloom Living team and community to be the very change that we want to see in the world. All ideas begin with a conversation, first with yourself and then with others. So we welcome your voice and we ask that you send along any comments, thoughts, or questions. This is Thomas DeShooter, Bloom Living. I don't want to turn your stomach fast I don't want to get all mired in tight sentiment Don't think I found me a pocket here There's pipe bones thrown on my television My mailbox of bankers born 